TED Audio Collective. A few weeks ago, I was in Hawaii. Sunshine, rainbows, blue sky. But like all trips, it had to come to an end. And that end coincided with returning home to New York City during one of the first blizzards of the new year. The plane landed. I could see the snow outside the window. I stepped onto the jetway and felt the chill. All I wanted to do was turn right back around. But something funny happened as I waited for my taxi. The cold, crisp, fresh air actually felt really good. I was breathing more deeply. It was invigorating, refreshing. This was so strange. I had been dreading this moment, but ended up appreciating it. I was grateful for it. Now, it's one thing to be grateful after having a positive experience you weren't expecting. And it's easy enough to express gratitude for things you enjoy, for a supportive coworker, for a new opportunity, for delicious food. But how do we practice gratitude when facing really difficult challenges? I'm Madupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Okay, I admit, in the grand scheme of things, returning home to the bitter New York winter from a work trip in Hawaii wasn't that challenging. But it did remind me that we can find gratitude even when things in our life aren't pleasant, even when facing much bigger challenges with our families, our jobs, or our health. Which brings me to our speaker today, Christina Costa. She teaches psychology to undergrad and high school students and studies resilience and well-being. Much of her work is focused on gratitude. In 2020, Christina was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was one of the greatest challenges of her life. In this talk, she explains how a gratitude practice became a key resource for her. After the talk, I'll discuss how a gratitude practice can help you through challenges of any shape or size in work or life. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. 
Like progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. When I was a middle school science teacher, I would often ask my students to kiss their brain. I got this idea from visiting my friend's kindergarten classroom. She would ask her students to kiss their brain and they would take their fingers, tap them to their mouth and then to the top of their head and it truly was as cute as you can picture it to be. So I decided to bring it, bring it back to my middle school classroom which could have gone one of two ways but it ended up being a really fun ritual for us too and I would ask them to kiss their brain for all the work they did in class as a practice of gratitude. After teaching middle school, I came back to grad school to get my PhD in psychology. My research is within the area of positive psychology, which is a science that investigates the strengths and factors that allow individuals and communities to thrive. I also get to teach psychology to undergrad students and high school students. I love teaching psych, and my absolute favorite unit to teach in intro psych is the brain. But while I love teaching about the brain, I thought it would be pushing it to ask my undergrads, aka adults, to kiss their brain. So three years would go by before I would remember that fun phrase. One day after teaching last year, I had a terrible migraine that left half of my face numb and blurred my vision. The migraines kept happening. I saw multiple doctors. And then I started experiencing dizzy spells. The neurologist ordered an MRI, and I remember being so excited because then I would be able to use my own brain pictures when I taught brain imaging to my students. But as it turns out, my MRI wasn't too picture perfect. The doctor called me and asked me to go to the ER because there was a large mass in the right hemisphere of my brain. I have never been more scared in my life than I was that night, and with tears dripping down my face in the hospital, I kissed my brain for the first time since I had left my middle school classroom. I made it my mantra, and I kissed my brain every single day leading up to and after surgery. Then, two weeks later, after surgery, the pathology reports came back, and I was diagnosed with an anaplastic astrocytoma. The weeks following were very difficult. I tried to figure out what I was struggling with the most by looking back on all the things I had been writing about this experience. I wrote and posted this on Instagram about a week after I received that pathology report. I will keep fighting. I will keep loving. I will keep living. I will keep loving. I will keep living. And then about a week after that, I wrote this. Fighter. I tried it on to see how it felt because I kept hearing those words next to my name, like a job, like an identity, like a role. Fighter. I look at myself in the mirror. It felt okay at first, but soon it became exhausting, too heavy to lift, too much to carry, too burdensome to bear. 
I took it off and left it on the floor. War was not for me. A body is not a battlefield. I realized that I had been introduced to the fight narrative. When people heard my diagnosis, I became a fighter. You're a fighter, keep fighting. Beat this tumor were the top comments. And then there was the internet, the place I so desperately searched for people who were doing well with their diagnosis. But the top hashtags to search for were brain tumor suck, cancer sucks, and cancer fighter. I understand completely why those hashtags exist, but I was so eager to find the hashtag, hi, I have a brain tumor that might never go away and I'm still living and thriving, and I guess there just isn't a ring to that one. I hated the idea that I was going to be at war with my brain because I had spent months and years kissing it instead. I hated the suggestion of naming my tumor something awful because the reality is that it was going to be my neighbor for the rest of my life. And I hated the guided imagery training that asked me to picture chemo as an army coming to battle the cancer cells because I didn't want to spend over a year of my life at war with my own body. I can see how these elements of the fight narrative can be empowering for people, but for me, I knew it wasn't going to work. So I started to reference well-being practices that I had learned from my own studies. Doctors always laugh with me when they find out that I'm a biopsych and neuroscience major and psych PhD student. Then when they ask what I'm studying and I tell them I study resilience and well-being, they either laugh again, say something like, oh, that's irrelevant, or go, ah. The irony was never lost on me. I have read so many stories and studies of resilience, but I never pictured the day that I would have to personally experience it. I read and taught about gratitude practices specifically as a well-being strategy, and even though I knew the positive effects, I had never seriously practiced them myself. I started to incorporate some of these exercises into my life. I tried to stop focusing on what my body had done wrong and focus on the gratitude I had for my body instead. And really, I realized this is something I had been doing when I was kissing my brains those days leading up to and after surgery. Gratitude became the tool that helped me restructure my vision of illness and disability when the world was telling me I should fight it instead. Instead of thinking about if I would be able to have kids one day, I thought of how amazing it was that my brain, despite its trauma, was able to deliver the perfect amount of hormones to my body to produce enough eggs to save for a later date. Every time I went to radiation and was put in my mask, I kissed my brain and I focused on the resident telling me how the healthy cells would be able to repair over time and the cancer cells could not. And when the operative notes came back from my surgery, a day that I remember very well and had been scared to think about, I read the note out loud, sobbing, happy and grateful tears, thinking about what my neurosurgeon's team did. I started to feel such an immense sense of gratitude for science, medicine, and my medical team, that those thoughts started to drown out the what is my life going to be like thoughts. The more I practiced gratitude, the more peace I felt in my situation, and this got me interested in what could be happening with the science of gratitude at a neurological level. There are several positive psychological and social outcomes of gratitude, like increases in happiness, decreases in depression, having stronger relationships and experiencing positive emotion. And fMRI studies show us that several parts of our brain 
and pathways are activated when we experience and express gratitude. One of these parts is the medial prefrontal cortex, an area associated with the management of negative emotions. Together, these changes in neurotransmitters and hormones combined with the activated neural pathways help us cognitively restructure potentially harmful thoughts to better manage our circumstances. And the cool thing is that we can intentionally activate these gratitude circuits in our brain. In general, the more we do something, the easier it becomes, and our brains work the same way. The more we activate these gratitude circuits, the less effort it takes to stimulate those pathways the next time, and the stronger those pathways become. Neuroplasticity is a term I teach my students that refers to our brain's ability to form new neural connections throughout life, which means this is something that anyone can practice and get better at over time. So I kept practicing gratitude even when it seemed impossible. I continue to thank my brain for the amazing work it does as I prepare for 12 more rounds of chemo this year. I write down three things I'm grateful for and why I'm grateful for them, no matter what, every morning that I wake up. I write thank you notes to my heroes in healthcare, nurses who get the IV in the first time, the anesthesiology resident who held my hand during the awake portions of my surgery, radiation therapists that play my playlist during treatment, and administrative staff that makes me smile every time I walk into the hospital. I do want to take a second here and practice what I teach to shout out my doctors and their teams from the Michigan Medicine Multidisciplinary Brain Tumor Clinic. I have never met such intelligent, kind, and patient people. Thank you for making me feel brave when I sometimes felt the opposite. I think the universe might think it's funny that a psych instructor and researcher who studies well-being ended up with a brain tumor. The truth is that we need more awareness and more research regarding brain tumors and brain cancer. Doctors can't exactly predict how my tumor will behave, and really, none of us can predict what our lives are going to be like exactly. But what I hope I can show you is that we can also be grateful for the unexpected challenges. I don't want to dismiss people who may find the fight narrative empowering. I also don't want to suggest that it's by any means easy to find ways to be grateful in dealing with adversity. This has been the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. But I do want to empower those that feel like me, that there's another way to go through whatever your journey may be, that loving your body doesn't have to be conditional, and that by practicing gratitude, we can actually wire our brains to help us build resilience. And lastly, I hope everyone, no matter where you are or what you are doing, can take a second to kiss your own brain and thank it for all that it does for you. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. 
To put it simply, Odoo is built to save. Odoo saves time, Odoo saves money, but most importantly, Odoo saves businesses. That's right, Odoo's superhero software rescues companies from the perils of disconnected platforms, and Odoo's utility belt of user-friendly applications puts the power of total business management in the palm of your hand. Learn more at odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. Odoo, saving the world one business at a time. Christina's talk is a great reminder that there is so much inside us, physically inside us, that we ought to be more grateful for. And we ought to show that appreciation, like by kissing our brain. I'm a runner and a pretty avid athlete, and I can get really into it. Specific exercise programs, monitoring what I eat, beating myself up if I don't hit a goal or if I miss a day. It can become an obsession. So you know what I had to do at one point? I stopped tracking it all. My steps, my heart rate, my calories. Because all of that tracking made me feel so focused on what I wasn't doing instead of appreciating what my body was doing for me. Now that I've heard Christina's talk, that was a form of gratitude. Showing my body that I trusted it and wasn't being fair by micromanaging it. Is there something about yourself or your performance that you can consider showing more gratitude towards? It can be hard to, so you need to make a routine out of it just like exercise. One way to do this is through a journal. Gratitude journals can be really simple. Just pull out a notebook and write at the top things I'm grateful for and start jotting down whatever comes to mind. If it helps, you can divide the page into three columns, people, places, and things, and write down a few items in each category. A friend of mine just writes down one thing a day. I remember she once shared how grateful she was for the lemonade at a coffee shop. So simple. If you want to take it to the next level, you can try expressing your gratitude. Christina mentioned writing thank you notes to her healthcare team, which is a reminder to not just show gratitude to the physical things, but also to the people that matter to us. And if you want to next, next level your gratitude, after thanking them, pull out your gratitude journal and write down how it made you feel to express gratitude. Christina's talk shows that this type of practice can make us feel more at peace with whatever challenge we're facing. And that peace is something to be grateful for. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media with help from Jordan Bailey and fact-checked by Matias Salas. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhu Aganola. Talk to you again next week.